Hello, listeners, and welcome to Down the Middle, a political podcast. Our interview this week is with Santa Monica Pete. We've protected Santa Monica Pete's name due to feared retaliation from the local government, and after listening to this interview, you'll understand why. We hope you enjoy this interview. Rob and I both think that this particular subject brings up important questions that should be part of the current public debate. So kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy our interview with Santa Monica Pete. So we would like to welcome to the show my friend Santa Monica Pete. Now, Pete, we are not going to disclose your last name because uh, if the city of Santa Monica ends up hearing this, uh, we don't want them to come after you. Yeah, ret- retaliation is a is a concern. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so for all you listeners out there, once you have kids, you sort of have two sets of friends. You have your old friends, like uh, my dear friend Justin here, right. and then you start to make friends with all your kids' friends' parents. So, uh, Pete's daughter is one of my daughter's oldest friends. They went to daycare together for several years in Santa Monica, California, and Pete and his wife Pamela became good friends of ours. Uh, the first time I hung out with Pete, I immediately got the impression that he was politically aware. At at the very least. Uh, I believe Trump had just become president. So this was probably sometime in, in 2016. Uh, and obviously we were talking about it as one would expect. Everyone was talking about it. Uh, I quickly also learned that Pete was a Santa Monica native, which believe it or not, is not very common here. I have very few friends or even acquaintances that grew up in Los Angeles. Almost all of them are transplants. Uh, one night we were invited over to Pete's apartment for dinner and it was brought to my attention that the building that his apartment was in was a building and a lot that had been in Pete's family for 50 years or so. Uh, It is prime Santa Monica real estate, just a few blocks from the ocean. So obviously this lot is an asset for Pete and his family. Uh, Now that they have a kid, they were looking into the idea of basically tearing down a big part of the building and designing a new home for themselves on this lot that they owned. And Pete's story pertaining to developing his own property on his own lot is the reason we wanted to have him on the podcast today. Uh, Without giving too much away, it's a story about the hell that one endures when they try to build something in one of the most highly regulated cities in the country. Uh, And since we talked a bit about environmental regulation in particular on this week's podcast, uh, we thought this interview would follow up nicely. So with that, Pete, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before we get into the story of your of your lot and your house and all that you've gone through, you've told me before that you are registered independent, but that you lean conservative. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and when you knew you were conservative. So uh, so my political awakening goes back to a very early age. My uh, my family were uh, political exiles from Cuba. That of course has colored you know a big part of my my belief system. Um, I, however, don't consider that I am sort of a, a, a knee-jerk uh, Cuban exile, as a lot of people uh, think, you know, in those terms. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat liberal in my social views, um, and I don't necessarily always agree with the Republican Party line, thus not being a registered uh, Republican. Um, but I do tend to be conservative on fiscal issues, on law and order, things of that nature. But going back, um, as, as far as... Uh, you know, my, my political uh, sort of uh, coming of age uh, I, in my family, my family in Cuba was an apolitical family, uh, not until the 1959 revolution and they were being forced out, uh, exiled, did they become more political. And then my earliest memories were of politics being discussed in the house morning, noon and night, uh, particularly as related to Cuba and our situation. But then everything else, you know, the, the United States government, once it became apparent that 
this was going to be uh, my family's home for the long term. Uh, they embraced the United States. Uh, they eventually became American citizens. Um, but politics was was a big issue and a big concern. Um, so a lot of those things have colored my 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 views. Right. Yeah. And my next question was actually going to be about your your Cuban roots, because we know historically that that Cuban Americans tend to be very conservative, um, especially, you know, Justin is from South Florida. So right. uh, so he knows in particular that uh, the Cuban population down there tends to vote Republican. They have for many, many years. Uh, so, I mean, do you think that ex- the experience of having a Cuban family colored your uh, political leanings? It, it did. And, and not just that. I mean, I, obviously, I, I lived you know, I, I heard the stories. I lived through the 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 harder days of you know the earlier days of exile with them. I've also you know I'm I'm approaching sixty years of age, so I've had many years of speaking to literally thousands of Cubans and Cuban Americans of uh, all different uh, ethnicities and and uh, socioeconomic groups and and uh, sexual you know predilections. And I've gotten a, what I think is a good background uh, from people, a lot of them who were sympathetic to the revolution even early on or, or throughout it. Um, and I've gotten a good idea of what what that system is like. And and that has been sort of the uh, that and, and many other things. It's not the only thing, but um, are the things that have led me to uh, a more conservative bent, I should say. Right. As Rob mentioned, I'm from Florida, about an hour north of Miami. So I have to ask, why did your family choose California and Los Angeles? Yeah. It certainly isn't common. Well, initially it wasn't even California. Their uh, their first stop, uh, well, the plane stopped in Miami. They made a connection, and they ended up in New Jersey, of all places. Wow. I'm also from there. So yeah. that works there you me. go. Well, they, <laughs> yeah. well, they, they were in, uh, in Union City in West New York, uh, which, you know, Union City, as you know, has a large Cuban population. At the time, it wasn't so large. My, my folks got out on the earlier side of the revolution uh, when it was still relatively easy to get out uh, so long as you left everything behind and left with the equivalent of $200. Um, so they went to New Jersey because they knew one family there. Um, everyone sort of helped to sponsor each other and you know kind of back each other up. Um, they spent about a, a year and a half there, went through a, a hellacious winter apparently in 1960. Um, at the time my mom was pregnant with me, my dad said, I don't want him born. You know, I was due in January, I think December, January, he said, I don't want him born here under, you know, uh, with a snowstorm where we got to take a cab to the hospital. So they moved, they started moving west. They made a pit stop in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, because we had another, my mom's brother was actually living there. Uh, Albuquerque, in, at, that, at this point, it's 1962, not a lot of opportunity, uh, you know, for work. And so I was actually born in, in Albuquerque, uh, not, not a Santa Monica native, but came here within six months of that. So for all intents and purposes. And L.A. was beckoning because that's where opportunity was. So tell us a little about the lot that you own in Santa Monica and why you decided to develop it a couple years ago. So, uh, again, a little bit of background. So my folks uh, eventually got to a position, you know, worked very hard and the whole immigrant story, um, got to a position where they they could buy a property, but they they couldn't really buy a single family home. That wasn't something that was in the cards. Yeah, capitalism, by the way, Rob. Yeah, yay capitalism. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and 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 they were thankful every day for that. You know, yeah. one of the, everything that they owned in Cuba had been uh, appropriated by the government. Basically, it was collectively owned. Let's put it that way. Um, 
so uh, the building, this a building in Santa Monica became available through some people that we knew, whatever they, they scrimped and saved, did everything they could, and they bought a, a six-unit building in Santa Monica to have a place to live, a home, and then income from five units. Um, and so I grew up here. I spent a good amount of time growing up here. Uh, you know, in later life, I moved on and met many, many different lives in very different places. Eventually came back to the building to live with my, you know, now wife and child. We're here for a while. The building's been in the, in the family, like Rob said, for 50 or so years. You know, it's, it's sort of a family building. We've, we've actually literally had family living here, but also the people who have lived here have been long-term residents. They are like family. Um, Santa Monica, as you guys probably know, is, is uh, got a very stringent rent control law. So there are people that live here who are considered like ultra low income tenants in, in apartments that are renting for about a, a fifth of market value. And it's fine. I mean, you know, we don't we don't even look at this as a money making opportunity. This is home. And we happen to have a little income on the side. It's certainly a good uh, location to be a low income renter because you're you're so close to the beach. So, you know, on the uh, you know, our topic of the day this uh, this week, we every week we do a different topic of the day. And this week it was about government regulation and some of the negative and positive that comes along with it, because there is some positive. Right. Uh, your lot is located, of course, like you said, in the city of Santa Monica, which is widely considered. Uh, and I actually looked this up. It's one of the most highly regulated <laughs> cities in the nation. And for, yes. for viewers who don't know or for listeners who don't know much about Los Angeles, Santa Monica is a city in the county of Los Angeles. It is a separate city with its own government, but it does fall under the rubric of the city of Los Angeles, correct? The Los Angeles metropolitan area yeah, right. with its own okay. independent government. Right, correct. exactly. So walk us through your experience from start to miraculous finish of <laughs> what the city of Santa Monica put you and your family through in order to build your your home on the lot that you own. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's been an ordeal to say the least. Um, and just to add, I happen to, as a professional, the last 30 years, I happen to work in the environmental consulting field in regulatory compliance. Um, I work with planners and urban developers and, and people in environmental. So I'm familiar with regulation. This was a whole new level of, of difficulty. I knew it was going to be difficult going in. I never foresaw it was going to be like this. We, the entire process, so our, our plan was we live in a unit that's in the front of the building. Um, there's, there's six units basically side by side, you know. We, we live in the front unit. Our idea was at some point, let's expand, but we have nowhere to expand other than up. So I started doing research, um, going to the city of Santa Monica, um, various degrees of success, I think four or five trips, uh, because every time you go down there, you would get a, a conflicting answer from the planning department or from someone else. That's just the bureau. You know, I chalked it up to the bureaucracy. Um, once I did my research and realized that we were within zoning, within all the code, we met all the requirements of all the codes, lot coverage, everything. We started shopping for uh, a contractor. Um, I, I, I should have known when I started shopping for contractors and started calling people and talked to about, I'd say about 10 people. Uh, I would tell them what our project was. We wanted to add 600, approximately 650 square feet above our existing 800 square feet, move the bedrooms upstairs, add bathrooms, and just remodel the downstairs. They all kind of said, not a big deal. We do this all the time. Everything's great. We want to come out and give you an estimate. What's your and, address? And, and these were obviously contractors that were very familiar with the city of Santa Monica and all their codes and regulations. 
Well, here's the thing. Up to that point in the conversation with all of them, they didn't know where I lived. And when I said I live in the city of Santa Monica, they said, thanks, but no thanks. We won't work with you. I had at least seven of the 10 contractors say, actually six of the 10 said, we won't work in Santa Monica. A seventh one said, get approved plans with everything and I'll, and I'll think about bidding on it. Wow. Do you know, have any idea as to why that is in Santa the Monica? Level, the level of difficulty, what, what they put uh, not only owners through, but they put the contractors through, the builders, um, architects, everyone is realizes that it's a losing proposition to work here, that the amount of time. Did it give you pause? Were you, did you start to get worried? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that along with just what I know of dealing with the city and with the rent control board and with just the, the city's regulations, but, you know, we persevered. We decided our choices were to, to stay as we were, to move somewhere else, you know, put the property on the market, go somewhere else. But, I mean, this is home. This is where I want to be, right? And all we wanted to do was a little bit of a remodeling, a little expansion, right? So we decided let's double down on Santa Monica. Let's double down on California and let's do this. Can't be that difficult, right? We kept saying. Right. took approximately three and a half years to get through the process, uh, 15 months of actual construction for a, a 600, what ended up being a 634 square foot addition. We ran into problems. And, and again, nothing was out of code. Nothing was out of compliance. This should have been a slam dunk. They found every opportunity to to put obstacles in our path. Um, and it's not like a personal thing. This is just the way they do things. It, it's almost like there's an animosity towards uh, a property owner. And that was going to be one of my questions for you is, why do you think this is? Is it a cultural thing in Santa Monica with the government? Is it just to make life hard? Because, you know, you know, as you know, my wife owned a business in Santa Monica right. and she dealt with a lot right. of these same problems with, uh, you know, the city just showing up and saying, oh, we have a new a new law that you have to right. have. Like, what what do you think the re like if you I mean, I'm not I don't think you necessarily know for sure. But if you had to hypothesize, what is the reason? Yeah, it, you're right. It's a hypothesis. But knowing what I know and also from working with this city and other cities through, through my work, um, there are people within the city here that that do have an animosity towards anyone who owns property. They're, they're looking at it as, as a source of uh, to exploit money from um, through permitting and things like that. But also, they just don't particularly like you. You know, there's you're 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 a capitalist. You're an owner. I, I happen to be the worst kind of capitalist because I own a, a building that uh, provides housing, which uh, you know is exploitative in in the. Uh, you know, possibly in a lot of their thought process. God so I, I doing think, something for profit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, and particularly renting housing, that should be a that should be a guaranteed you know right. uh, rights. And so right. you know, never mind that uh, four of my six units are rented at uh, under seven hundred dollars, one bedroom units in Santa Monica. You know, and that we're happy with that. We're not. We've never pushed for evictions or rent increases. I, I can live with that. You know, um, but that didn't seem to matter. That that actually came up in the process later on when they nearly forced me to abandon the project, at which point I said, I, I'm going to have to just sell the whole thing. I, we're so far over budget at this point that it's so difficult. And I said, the net effect of this is you guys will lose these units because I'm going to sell to someone with deep pockets who will come in and buy out those low-income renters, and they're going to turn it around and they're going to make this market 
a market rent building. And so I, you know, that seemed to maybe resonate with one or two people that we dealt with, yeah. but it was, yeah. it was one thing after another. So tell us uh, just a few of the uh, more crazy things that they asked or that they put you through or that they asked you about. The thing that comes to my mind, just being at, at, at the house, which is beautiful, by the way, uh, I finally <laughs> saw the finished product. It looks awesome. Um, the, the thing that comes to mind is obviously the rain, uh, holders what are those things called oh, the, uh, yeah the rain barrels yes the rain yeah. barrels yes so tell us about that and tell us a few other things that that are funny that was uh that was yeah one of, one of many things and so the concept of having uh, barrels to capture uh, rainwater and and use it to you know to save water seems perfectly logical um they told me that i required because of the the project and again where we went from 800 square feet we added 634 we're not talking about a massive project but they said you will require two rain barrels um, with a capacity of, uh, I think it's 285 gallons each, one on each side of the building. They're ugly as hell. I'd like to take this moment to remind the listener, we're talking about Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it rains like three times a year. Thank yes. you. These yeah. things will be a, a quarter full at most during the rainy season. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. So we, I looked into the pricing of them. They were something like four or $500 each. We factored it in. Fine. At some point in the process, they said, well, you know, we know that these are hideously ugly on your new building. Um, so if you want to use a smaller rain barrel, about half the capacity on either side, you can do that if you pay us an in-lieu fee of, I believe it was 36 or that's $3,700. And by the way, if you don't want them at all because they're ugly, you can pay us an in-lieu fee of $7,800, just short of $8,000, and you don't have to have them at all. So all of a sudden, you know, saving water didn't matter. Yeah, it's just, big just environmental. money. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I turned around and said, I'm not paying 8,000 and I'm not paying 4,000. What I'm going to do is put in the rain barrel. Ugly as they are, I'll decorate them, you know, whatever. And, and their response, the environmental division's response was, well, you can't do that because in our experience, as soon as we've done the final inspection, people will remove them because they're ugly. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is your regulation. I'm complying, right. and now you don't want me to comply. You just want my money. Yeah. So we ended up with the rain barrels. They're out there. You saw them, Rob. It's like, you know, I, I will say the house is beautiful. The rain barrels are eyesores for sure. Luckily, you can't see them from the street, but but it, it is absolutely ridiculous because it's it's literally this huge barrel that takes up a you know a portion of the side oh, of the house. As, as um, tall as I am, and and you know it's it's five, right. five by five basically. It's, right, it's, they're, and, they're massive. And, you know, I lean sort of, I guess you could say, a progressive environmentalist. Like, I'm very much pro-environmental regulations when, when I think they are necessary, right? Like, I don't think coal companies should be dumping their waste in the river down the street, you know? But when I saw those, I thought to myself, the idea that the three days of rainwater that's going to fill up in here <laughs> and that you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're going to water your plants with these and that that is going to save... Los Angeles from ending up in the ocean in, in 50 years is absolutely asinine. You know, you could yeah. always you could always get a bunch of ice and fill it up with beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're on to something there. I may have to work something out. There's a large cooler, two large coolers. Yeah. But um, but that was just an example of, you know, if you hand us money, then no problem. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a form of extortion. I mean, it's, it, exactly it, it's it a form of extortion. The other yeah. the other part that was extortionate, in my view, was we had approved a certain point we had after we'd gone to Architectural Review Board, which they asked us to do and paid eighteen hundred dollars to have a hearing before the board, which then looked at our architectural design, decided whether they liked it or not, made changes to it. 
Um, at which point my wife nudged me during the hearing and said, so it's their project, we're just paying for it. I said, yeah, kind of. So, so um, tell us a little bit about this architectural hearing board. They, they actually decide on the design. They, they, how much say do they have in the design? Well, we we the presented a design. Um, right. We had an architect that worked in conjunction with our contractor. Uh, the design, we made our, our alterations. Then we actually had to request the hearing and pay nearly $2,000 for that hearing right, um, to sit before this panel of, of whatever it was, seven people, and have them look at it and say, we like this, we don't like that. We would like you to bring this wall in two feet, not because of the setback requirement, but because we think that looks better. We want our, you know, articulation in the design. It's like, when well, we knew that going in, and so we put articulation into the, the, the facade, the front, what you see from the street, and they said, well, that's not enough. We think there needs to be two more feet, which meant that you would lose square footage in the in the, uh, the unit itself. None of the changes they made had anything to do with safety or code or anything like that. It was strictly aesthetics. It's like, what do they like? What do you like? So what you like doesn't really matter. It's like what they deem they like. And this is your own property again oh, course, that yeah. you own. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not doing anything outrageous. Everything has been right. done according to what their standards are. So they, they have to go that step further. I got to say, though, Architectural Review Board, in the end, ended up being one of the, the easiest things. They looked at the project. They were almost embarrassed to be reviewing it. When they looked at the square footage we were adding, I think more than one commissioner said, well, this is a modest project. I think we're going to be fine with this. Right, right. right. So, so we moved on, and then we got to the point where we had approved plans, and approved stamp plans didn't seem to matter when, when we had inspections and things like that, when they would make changes on the fly, where inspectors would come out and say, well, we now want to see a, a support wall running along here. It's like, well, we've got engineering, we've got calculations that were submitted, Everything's been submitted and it's been approved and stamped. Well, I want to see it like this. I, more than once, uh, the, the inspector said to our contractor, uh, and one of the times I overheard him, the contractor said, yes, but this is going to add $10,000 to this, the project. And he said, it's not my problem. And moved on. And again, there is no, there was no safety reason. There was no engineering reason. There was no architectural there's reason. No, this there's was, no math or science behind there's no, there's no, right? Yeah, we ended up... So far, you know, we had a contingency fee. You know, we figured there's going to be overruns in construction. We ended up so far beyond that that we were barely able to finish the project. I mean, it, it, we had to go through a lot of loopholes. So at that point, they've got you over a barrel. You've you've already started your your you know you've you've done your demo. You're down to the studs. You know, we've already had we had to have a remediation crew come out and take down our, our stucco, even though they found less than than one percent uh, asbestos and lead in the paint and the uh, and the covering, which did, according to law, didn't require us to do anything in addition. They said, well, we still want you to have a remediation company do it. And the remediation guy even laughed. He said, he goes, yeah, it's going to cost you 10 grand. He goes, I'm going to take this stuff and throw it in the dump because that's, you're allowed to. This is not something that needs to be handled in any particular way. So what my contractor had already budgeted for, now I had to pay an additional 10000 almost $10,000 to do that. They've got you over a barrel. You're sitting here with the framing, and when they come and say you have to do this additional thing for ten thousand dollars, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, you can't throw in the towel at that point. What's the point of them coming and doing that? Because they're they're not getting any money, are they? Well, not not theoretically in that. That's and that's the thing that kind of annoyed me because this this meant more money to a consultant or a contractor, and right. and, and, and most of these terms. I mean, we play we pay plenty in uh, in permit fees. Um, that was, you know, upfront, there was a ridiculous amount of permit fees. Once we actually went to get the permit after that two years almost of dealing with them, 
they added more fees. And this was one of my favorites. As we were sitting at the counter, the contractor and I were sitting at the counter to pull the permit, the actual card that they can put up yeah. um, so that we can get started to work. The, uh, the permit specialist at the city of Santa Monica went through everything and said, okay, well, let me calculate what you owe. I said, well, I just finished paying the second set of permits right over there at that counter. And she said, oh, no, no, we reserve the right to add additional uh, charges. And she disappeared behind the little partition, kind of like when you're buying a, you know, a car and they do the little game, you know, I'm going to talk to my manager. She disappeared and she came back about 10 minutes later and said, yeah, we'd like you to write another check, the third check now, for another $1,800 for a, a school's fee. It's like, this didn't appear anywhere. This was just sort of magically just came up. So again, having, having you know, paid all of this, once the contractors, uh, or once they come out and the inspectors come out and tell you that you have to do these things, you're wondering, well, how do they benefit? They're not actually making additional money. A contractor is um, a, a company that comes out and you know, we had various environmental reviews. We had uh, multiple uh, surveys of the property. The first one made sense because you have to establish the property boundaries and you know that you're within limits. The second one was because they wanted to be sure that the height was in compliance. So, well, here's the thing. We didn't change anything on the ground. All you need to do is take a tape measure and measure the top <laughs> of the building. And that yeah. tells you whether it's in compliance. It's like, no, no, it has to be. We have to shoot it with the lasers and we have to do this. So you have to get the company out there. So at some point, it's 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 sort of that level of layer of regulation for the sake of being difficult, it seems like. Because they're not even benefiting financially. Right. And it's just basically to make your life a living hell. That's what it sounds like. And yeah. I think I think for anyone who lives in Los Angeles, and you'd have to live in the city to really uh, have a sense of this. But I think the hypocrisy that that I see, at least personally, is that, you know, I see them pulling over soccer moms in Brentwood who have expired tags, you know, one month expired. Um, I see them make doing what they're doing to you and you know making uh, you're making it so on your own lot you're almost throwing in the towel and saying and throwing up your hands and saying i I don't want to do this anymore all these crazy parking laws too is this right parking laws yeah everything but then they let the crackheads walk around on the street completely unpoliced and when you do call the police because they're on your front lawn they send someone over to just push them down the street. They let these tanks go up anymore. all over this. Right, they, they, they barely will, happen. right? Yeah, yeah. right. So it's, it's that kind of hypocrisy that I think, I'm not sure you can necessarily blame it on quote liberal governance, you know, like like so many people try to do. I'm not I don't know statistically. I don't have the knowledge of whether these things happen in more conservative states. I I think they're probably architectural boards in every state, right? You right. know, you want your state right. to have a certain aesthetic. Um but it does seem like this city makes business hard for people and I know for fact, you know, my again, like I've said my wife, she she had to deal with all sorts of crazy regulations that would just spring up all of a sudden. Right. They keep Seven changing, years they keep in business. The, yeah. The, you you the, change the rules as you go along. The, the, the one that yeah. comes to mind is, you know, she's been in business seven years. The city just shows up at her door and says, oh, all fitness studios now have to have X number of parking spots and you're too short. You have to, we're going to take your business license. Which, how does that equate? It, she's never in seven years. She had never had a parking problem. They had no, 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 none of her clients had ever complained. They had ample parking on either the street and they had a garage. She works so, on a major street. It's so easy to right. find parking there. It, it almost seems as though they are trying to hurt your business. And I'm trying to figure out why, uh, you know, that's, that's part of this conversation is 
Why does that happen here? Well, you were talking about, you mentioned hypocrisy. So one block, literally one block from where I live, there are currently, I'd say, seven projects under construction that we, with cranes. We're talking six, seven-story buildings with an average of about 100 units each. And those are sort of have been streamlined in the city. Now, now the flip side of that is the city has realized that they can't meet their housing goals, particularly low-income housing goals, because they're pushing landlords like me out of business. So now in order to meet their goals, they deal with large developers with very deep pockets who they will allow them to, to build 120 units a block from me over here, um, you know, as long as they, they, you know, the revenue they provide from the construction and as long as they provide X amount of low income units. That's fine because the, the, the contractor know, or the developer knows going in what the game plan is. He can factor that into his costs. But they have no problem with those constructions. Those those are massive. They're going in all over the place. Well, they're also big companies that can pay whatever they probably right. Right. said. They factor exactly. it into the cost of doing business. Exactly. Right. And when you're the little guy, you know, you are you or the small business, you know, they make it a living hell for you. They make it almost impossible for you to maintain a business. I provide low income units. Your wife provided, you know, jobs. You know, I mean, you know, why why the animosity? Why the difficulty? Right. And and right. to backtrack what you just said about it not necessarily happening. You know, everyone's got regulations every state, but I, I have a cousin that lives in Texas, outside of Houston, and he followed this saga. You know, we would talk all the time, and I'd tell him what was going on, and he would just laugh, and he goes, "You could have had this built in five, six months here, and you would have been done." Out the that door. was that was in what state? In Texas. In Texas. You know, right? he, he lives outside of Houston, and he just left. He's 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 done additions to his property. He goes, "You go down, you apply." You pay your permit fees, they come out, you do it right, they inspect it, and you're done. Yeah, well, we're seeing not just homeowners and not just uh, citizens, but businesses also uh, up and leaving yeah. this state in general. And you know, to that to that regard, I have a couple questions. Do you, since you grew up here, um, do you think that this has changed over the course of your lifetime? It's gotten worse, or has this? Because I know California has always been sort of a wacky state. Um, you know, for a hundred years, it's been considered that way. Have you noticed that this sort of red tape, government red tape, has all of this has gotten worse? Absolutely, in your adult Absolutely. life. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, throughout my lifetime, I've witnessed it not just here in Santa Monica, but in California. And as I mentioned earlier, the industry that I work in, um, I, I work in regulatory compliance, and I, and I see the the additional levels of of uh, regulation. Uh, sometimes it's well intended and has you know consequences that, that you know they didn't foresee sometimes again it just seems like an anti-business anti-property yeah. owner sort of mentality but yeah we see this all the time I I, uh, I I can tell you about a project i worked on for about a year where a utility company in the state is trying to upgrade their power lines to avoid the kind of fires and the situations that we've been having and the state of california various entities in the state of california have made it next to impossible it's something that should have happened within a year or two or three yeah. has taken 10. in the meantime those lines are sparking together and causing fires and and they just don't seem to get it yeah you know it's interesting because as someone who uh who is deeply cares about the environmental movement and you know i want clean air i want clean streets i want right. all of that um i always believe that the regulations i at least i want to believe that the regulations are in good faith 
that they're they're to serve a useful purpose. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Right. And it, it, it becomes hard to draw the line at was this something that was set up to be useful that backfired or was this something set up just to, uh, you know, uh, justify your inflated budget and tax people to right. death? Right. Yeah. Or, or something that comes from an ideology that's misguided that, that you know, and, and that's, you know, you're just going to make it more difficult because you can make it more difficult. Has this whole experience made you more conservative, would you say? I, I don't know that it's made me more conservative. I, I think I was already aware of, of uh, you know, sort of the what happens when big government gets a little too big. Right. Um, and, and it just it reinforced it. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't, in some ways, it wasn't a surprise that this happened in Santa Monica, but still, when you're going through it personally, it was it was jarring, let's put it that yeah. way. So yeah. I don't know that it's made me more conservative. I think it's just reinforced something that, I, that I've been seeing for many years. Right, um, right. So, you know, and, and something that needs to be addressed, uh, some things need to be simplified. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. At the end of the day, uh, now that you look back and you have this beautiful home, and it's it's finally done, right? I mean, you yes. you have no more problems down the road, right? The rain the rain buckets are installed. Ben, they're <laughs> done. I'm I'm ready for the next deluge. You know, right? Um, right. Yeah. No, I I think we're done. <laughs> I hope we're done. So now you have a home that's really beautiful, and you have this asset. Um, the one other thing I wanted to ask, actually, before we go, is uh, do you think that the city of Santa Monica ultimately was trying to – is there any any way that you were thinking that maybe they were trying to get you to sell it so that the city could own the lot? Is that something that, that ever crossed your mind? No, no, actually, no. Even even knowing what they're what how they do things, and they and they are the city through a, a nonprofit corporation that they fund actually is a landlord in the city of Santa Monica. They have been buying buildings. It's called Community Corporation, um, and to provide a moderate income housing, that sort of thing. Um, I think if, I, I don't think that that was ever the intent. I think it's just sort of an ingrained thing, you know, something that happens. The interesting thing about that is their own landlords and or well, they're the landlords, but their own managers and community corporation. I know some of them and the city or at least this arm of the city kind of knows how difficult it is to be a landlord now. It's, it's kind of a new awakening. It's like, oh, wow, it's not all sunshine and, you know, wonderful tenants. You know, it's, yeah. it goes both ways. There's bad landlords that are bad tenants. So so I think they're learning a lesson. But no, I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think it's just something that's built into the system. Wow. Well, it's a uh, it's a great story, and I'm glad that our listeners got to hear it because uh, I I think a lot of people don't even know that this is a thing that exists and how hard they make it uh, in some of these cities to build your own home on your own lot and uh, and and then even have your own business. Uh, it's 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 interesting. Jay, do you have anything to add? It's just a stunning process that you went through. I'm sorry that you had to go through it. I'm glad that you are <laughs> sitting where you are now and you're Thank in you. your new home. Thank you. And it's done. But I, I agree. I think really what hap what's happening in the media is we're seeing uh, Trump vilify a lot of Democrat-run cities for reasons that he's really wrong about. I think this is actually something that we can look at and focus on and say, is this something that's necessary is is this you know could we change this and make it a little bit more moderate and you know where deregulation makes sense i think this is a mm -hmm. great place to start and no one's talking about it yeah i mean this 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 state used to be a republican stronghold wasn't it i mean not yeah. too long ago what like 30 40 Arnold. years ago yeah Arnold. well 
Arnold was the last one. After yeah. that, it was all over. Oh. But uh, but you know, I think in the uh, the fifties and sixties, it was yeah. very conservative. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot more conservative. Definitely, growing up, you know, it was a lot more conservative. I mean, there was always a balance. It was never strictly Republican, but yeah, it was more balanced. And I think we we we're in a different direction right now. There's a yeah. supermajority in the legislature, mm-hmm. and uh, there's nothing coming out of Sacramento that gives me hope about being a landlord. <laughs> <laughs> right now. I'm enjoying the house, but tenant tentatively. Yeah. yeah. Right. We're lo- we're locked in. So uh we'll see you in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Pete, thank, thank you so you, much Pete. for coming on. We thank had a great guys. time talking about it. Uh hope our listeners will enjoy it. And maybe we have inspired people to not move here so that the traffic will get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank, right, thank you guys both. Thank Appreciate you so much so for much. coming on. Take Appreciate care. it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that does it for our interview with Santa Monica Pete. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. All of that's too confusing for you. Make sure to go to our website. They're all there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Remember, five stars, people, five stars. Visit our Discord. You can mix it up with us. Talk politics. The link is on our socials. And buy some merch. Wow your friends by promoting moderate change incrementally. The link is in our bio and all our socials. Well, guys, we'll see you next week. We got another great episode coming up for you. And we'll talk to you then.